0: The sleeper in the bust. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open, file, a case shut. A short, stop, or stop short. Press play or press board. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what troop is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting, who's missing? The sleeper in the bust. The sleeper in the bust.
1: Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Ino Saris. And Today is a very special edition of the show, as we will only be discussing the updated rankings that we've published this week. Actually, I kind of lied, because as usual, we gotta start things off with the most interesting player alive today. And no surprise at all, that's Clay Buchholz, another excellent outing yesterday, so, Eno, what are your thoughts here? Is this a guy that is going to keep it up all season and put himself into contention for the American League Cy Young Award, or are we going to get the same old Clay Buckholz that we've seen in, in past years, which is not very good?
0: Well, I got into like a big discussion last night with uh, Colin Zarzicki from uh, Rotographs about this, and um, he made some good points, but I just I I, I will say that I don't see it. Um, you know he's not doing anything very different. Um, his swinging strike rate is low. Uh, his velocity is a little bit lower. Um, these aren't things. These are things that are highly associated with uh, with strikeout rate. And so it's a little bit weird to see a guy lose velocity, lose swinging strike rate, and gain strikeout rate. So. Um I don't I I would love to point and be like, "Oh, look, he, that split finger that he was working on is really working, but he ditched the split finger." So, uh I don't get it.
1: Yeah, Jack Moore actually had an excellent article today on what Buckholt is doing differently, and it basically comes down to the fastball command, which is something that Yeah, you can see that being justification for what's happened so far. But it's just not as sustainable as a change in pitch mix or a change in velocity. And you hit the nail on the head with his swinging strike rate. His swinging strike rate is actually down slightly. It's well below the league average, as it always has been. But I checked out on Baseball Reference, and his looking strike percentage has skyrocketed. It's well above his own historical average and the league average. And that's just completely unsustainable. I mean, it does kind of justify what's happened so far, but it's just something that you can't expect to be maintained all season long.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that we know exactly. There's a, I think there's an outside chance it's sustainable. It's just that we don't, we've never seen it proved um, that these things are sustainable. Like for for instance, we could say that he has better fastball command. I'd love to see his edge percentage numbers to see if. Perhaps he's hitting the edges better this year with his fastball, uh, but we don't know when edge percentage becomes reliable, and we don't know. Um, so, so we don't know how short a sample we can use that in. So, um, you know, to me, also, let's say his edge percentage is high, then then maybe I could say, okay, his command of the fastball is way better, and so that's how he's getting looking strikes. Um, and I have seen some research that suggests that looking strikes are almost as good as swinging strikes. So there's that. But, you know, why isn't his walk rate better then if he has such great command? Is he choosing to walk some players and it's, and it's some sort of choice involved there? Um, I, I will leave the door open. I mean, we, we explained almost 70%, 75% of strikeout rate using velocity and swinging strike. Um, and, uh, and that does leave the door open 30% i'm going to leave that door open a little bit less for Buckles because we've seen so much of him. I would say there's a twenty percent chance that he's a different pitcher this year.
1: yeah, and he again, he is doing it with the looking strike, so it's not a complete fluke. I would just be more comfortable thinking he can maintain this all season if he was doing it with the swinging strike rather than the looking strike, because to me, the looking strike is just not as stable as the swinging strike because command can come and go but your stuff is your stuff and if you have great stuff I mean that's gonna be there with you more often I think than command so
0: also also a swinging strike depends on no one but the pitcher and the hitter a called strike depends on a lot of different things you know including more park factors um... Catch- umpire, the um- uh, catcher framing so I just feel like you're introducing a lot more risk there
1: yeah absolutely all right, now let's get to our ranking discussion. But first off, I wanted to talk to you about what your process is for actually ranking players during the season. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot easier preseason because you're you're projecting the player and then you're comparing him to other players. But during the season, you got to figure out how much weight to put on season-to-day performance. So how exactly do you go about it?
0: Well, um, you know, I cheat. I'll admit it, I cheat. Uh, What I like to do is look at the Zip's rest-of-season projections as a baseline, because...
1: uh, Uh, Oh,
0: uh-oh. Are we
1: not using the pod projections? uh, The the, the superior method to project every player, as we know. The problem is (laughs) that you don't have
0: a rest-of-season automated... No, I do not. Nor do I publish my pod projections for all to see anyway. Right. (laughs) Uh, But uh, what I like about that is just it gives me a baseline that is uh, sort of mathematically figured out. And actually, um, Zips is now using Velocity as well as Steamer. So well,
1: they are. I was yeah aware of that, and because I had been using Steamer pitcher projections exclusively because of the extra data that they use. But knowing that Zips now uses the Velocity data as well, that's something to consider. Maybe switching back. Although I'm kind of biased towards Steamer anyway, so I don't know. It's gonna take yeah, a lot for me to switch. I like them. I like them both,
0: um, and they're they're reasonably close. Um, but uh, I'm 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 intuitive I like to set an analytic baseline which is basically saying you know here's Zip's rest of season, here's the rest of season, here's a sort of analytically derived, empirically derived uh, rest-of-season projection that will give me a sort of numerical basis and then um, I look at the stats that um, that uh, stabilize quicker, so per pitch stats, swinging strike, um, ground ball rates those 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 um, those stats stabilize quicker and um since i 'm i 'm a little bit ignorant to how exactly zips is put together and how much of those sort of uh, aspects are put in there i i will i at the risk of sort of double weighting something, I will then take an intuitive leap from that and say, you know okay, zip says this, but uh, I saw this guy pitch recently, and this, or his swing strike rate is up, and this, or he dropped this pitch, and that was bad, or that was good. So I, I, I'll i throw some intuitive, but what I want to do is keep that numbers baseline in there because if I just went with my intuition, I might be like, oh, this guy, he's going to have a three ERA all year, and Zips is like, no, he's going to have a three nine. So then I can say, okay. I like him better than a 3.9, so I'm going to pencil him in for like a 3.6. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I have to say
1: I really, really like that method because I don't think that Zips or Steamer looks at those really advanced metrics like swinging strike rate, first strike percentage, and all those I would think stabilize more quickly and they're ignored. So if you see a pitcher's strikeout rate much higher than normal and his swinging strike rate is up and his velocity – is up and his pitch mix is different, then you have to assume that Zips and Steamer are going to be a little late to the party there, and they're not going to factor those changes into their projection. So, I mean, basically that's somewhat similar to how I rank players uh, for the rest of the season. I don't look at the Zips or the Steamer projections per se, um, but I basically I look I you know I start with a baseline of what my preseason rank- rankings are, and then just look at any process changes, which is exactly what you're talking about. The- yeah. The, the skills that have changed, or the, the skills that stabilize early. I'll see if there's any uh, changes there, and, and that's a change in process. And if there are changes there, then I might move players up or down. I, I basically ignore 100% the results. So I don't care that Clay Buckholt has a 101 ERA. That means nothing to me. I'm just looking at, has anything changed in his underlying advanced skill set that wasn't there preseason that might make me change my mind about what he's going to do the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, and I think also the last final piece is depth chart changes, which uh, I'm pretty sure that the protection systems have a hard time with. It's just this guy, you know, is moving into the closer role or this guy uh, just beat out the other guy. They used to be in a platoon, now they're not, that sort of deal. So that's that's the last sort of piece that you can put in on top of that.
1: Or, or a, a hitter maybe returning from an injury, maybe, uh, you know, it's speed guy. Uh, that's returning from a hamstring injury or a leg injury, maybe like a Darren Mastriani coming back from – he had some sort of leg injury. I don't remember what it was, but that might affect his speed. The projection systems aren't going to know this, and so his, speed, uh, his stall and base projection might be too high. So that's, yeah, that's what I factor in is the injury. Yeah. All right, let's get to some names. And so what we're going to do is so far we have published – three different sets of updated tier rankings and we're going to go over the guys that we disagree with and of course we're going to start off with the american league starting pitcher tiers which i posted myself this morning so you know give me one name that you disagree with my ranking of and tell me why
0: uh brandon morrow Ooh, interesting
1: okay let me hear. And, uh, and tell us what tier did I have him in and uh, who was he surrounded by, just for some context? Uh,
0: that is a good point that um, I should have noted in my notes. Um, I think.
1: He... I'll quickly take a look as you tell us why I'm wrong.
0: Okay, I, I think you had him in the third tier. Uh, I know he's surrounded by uh, Tommy Malone, but. Um, that was actually my next name, so that's not a great name to put up okay. there. Okay, he's
1: in the fourth tier, but of course the first tier is only Justin Verlander. He's in the fourth right. tier. He's surrounded by, oh, Clay Buchholz I have right above him, uh, Jeremy Hellickson below him, C.J. Wilson, Alex Cobb.
0: I think it's a, it's a, very, that was a very difficult tier probably for you, and it's a, I think it's a very um, sort of up and down tier in terms of uh, uh, those guys could go in any direction. Um, so I find it a very interesting tier and I think it's probably the tier that you want to sort of buy or sell, you know, depending on how you feel. I think that was sort of a make or break tier. But, um, when I just look at Brandon Morrow's, um, you know, overall body of work, I'm less so... So are
1: you saying that you disagree he should be in a tier higher or a tier
0: lower? Lower. Okay. I don't, I don't think that he necessarily has the upside, even of those guys... Uh, even though it's like sort of a mixed bag tier um I just you know you look at his you look at his career six hundred and eighty innings since you know two thousand and seven I know he was in the bullpen for some of that, but he he's not an innings guy he's oft injured his his career e r a is four fifteen his career whip is one thirty four um and he put up those numbers when he used to be able to strike guys out. Um, and now he's striking guys out at below average rate. Um, he's never been a ground ball guy. Uh, there's no major um, number on his line that's out of whack, except for home run rate. And he pitches in Toronto, which is a bit of a homer happy spot. So I just don't see any way that he pitches better than better than his. We were talking about his projections. I definitely take the over on the four four. Ten four thirty 4.30 type um, projections for his ERA the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, you know what? I don't disagree with anything you said. For me, I mean, he's clearly a mess. There's no metric right now that looks positive. His velocity is, is, is down. I mean, it's basically the same as last year, um, but that's down from 2011 and in his earlier years. His swinging strike rate is at a career low, his strikeout rate. Uh, is down another tick after significantly falling last year. Nothing is looking good, but this is just basically an example of me wanting a little more than 32 innings to make a drastic move. I did move him down within the tier, but I think one more month of similar performance, and then he'll be dropped a tier. So I, I just need a little more of a sample size to confirm because I can't completely throw out his previous strikeout rates out the window yet. So I need a little more... Uh, innings under his belt before I make that decision.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you. I, I, I might just be bitter because I've never uh, been that much of a fan, even though I, I have seen those strikeout rates and have wondered why he hasn't done better. But um, you know, I missed out on last year because I was I was already tired of him. Yeah, so, uh, bottom line on
1: Morrow right now for me, he is not a buy low guy. Uh, he's a he's a wait and cross your fingers and hope if you own well, him. Well, my other
0: name might be might be more interesting because. He he's got great career stats, and he's got um, he's doing well right now. And that's Tommy Malone. Mm, uh, got a great swing strike rate. Uh, he's got elite control, um, and you know, looking at his line right now, I'm sort of like, "Are you crazy? Why are you talking about this guy?" Uh, but uh, again, just for context, Tommy Malone is in that same tier as Brandon Morrow, the fourth
1: tier. He's currently sitting at the top of that tier. And if I understand you correctly, you think he should be in the tier above,
0: correct? No, I think he oh, should be lower. Lo-
1: oh, okay. It sounded like you were making an argument that he should be better than this.
0: No, I'm saying I don't know why I don't like him. Um, oh. <laughs> the I guess a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, his velocity dropped. He showed up. I did a list, um, recently of the uh, of one mile per hour droppers for getting blanked. Um, and he showed up on that, and he's actually down one point two. And, uh, you know, it might not be such a big deal, except there's this the the fact that um, there was this research done um, that velocity, the velocity we found is related to swing strike rate. But if you look at um, if you look at the the relationship between the two, between sort of 89 and 90 and like 93 or so, there's a range in there where it doesn't change a lot. You know what I mean? So if you have a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and you lose a mile per hour and you have a 91-mile-an-hour fastball, I, I don't think that, that, you know, alarm bells should go off. But Tommy Malone had one of the worst fastballs in the major leagues before uh, he lost a mile and a half. He's His fastball is now 86-and-a-half miles an hour. Yeah, it's not good. He's <laughs> real better than that. No. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, you can see it creeping in on his home run rate, you know, his home run rate last year was over one. Uh, this year it's 1.4. And it's not necessarily a terrible home run for fly ball rate. I mean, 11.8% is a little bit over average, but it's not, you could, you could go a whole season and have 11.8% in home run for fly ball. Um, and so what he is to me is a, is a halftime pitcher. I don't trust him away from home. I want that home, home run suppression. And without it, uh, I just don't trust an 87 mile an hour fastball. So uh, you know, he's. I think he's a bit of fool's gold, and I I would probably be shopping him.
1: It's a it's a reasonable argument, but obviously I disagree because I you know I, I ranked him where I did, and he's a different story than Morrow because he's a guy who you know I don't put that much stock into first half second half splits, but he did dramatically increase his strikeout rate in the second half last year, and he's had a good minor league track record of strikeout rates. He's increased his swinging strike rate despite the decline in velocity. So that hasn't hurt him yet. And the thing with him is that he has elite control. So those walk mm-hmm. rates are going to allow him to always post a pretty good whip. And once you get down toward the the bottom tiers, you're not getting a good, a good whip. So you get the the good whip guaranteed, uh, an above average strikeout rate, and even if his ERA is like 3.90 or so, then That's okay, and I think that still justifies him in that tier, and especially with the athletics offense looking as good as ever before, better than anybody would have ever expected. We might get more than the, say, 11 or 12 wins you may have expected from him in the preseason.
0: It's a good point, and I actually just thought of a name um, while we were talking, and uh, he's a little bit Ted Lilly. Huh, that's... And and
1: Ted Lilly has always been underrated as well, so that's a pretty interesting comp.
0: Yeah, Ted Lilly had sort of bad fastball, uh, good secondary stuff, home run issues, uh, great great control. So, um, you know, I I definitely own Ted Lilly some. So maybe maybe I'm coming around a little bit, but uh, I just I, I feel like even Ted Lilly had an 89 mile an hour fastball. So
1: yeah, well not anymore. He's at like 85. So <laughs>
0: well. he's Barry Zito esque. Right, Jeff Francis. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's hear what your last... My last name was Hisashi Iwakuma. Oh, you definitely like him better than I do, right? Yeah, and he's in the next tier. uh, He's in the tier below all the guys we talked about, and I think uh, at the very least he should be slotted in among Malone and Moro. Yeah, I actually Uh, moved him up in this ranking. I had him in
1: the tier even further below that. I moved him up in this ranking update, and and maybe he deserves to be up another tier in the next uh, update. So let me hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, uh, I just think that he belongs uh, in that tier with sort of a buckles. But in fact, I like him better than um, any of the names we've said so far Um, because, you know, I think that uh, this control, I mean, right now he's walking one, like almost one guy per nine, and that's... Um that's sort of elite control. Maybe he doesn't have elite, but I do think that he can uh walk about two guys per nine. So I think he has really good control. Um, and I like his split finger. Uh I like his home park to help him out a little bit. Um, but I think that he's a fine guy on the road. Uh his swing strike rate is up uh 11.9% swing strike rate absolutely supports uh, eight strikeouts per nine. Uh, You know, he has an 89-mile, 90-mile-an-hour fastball, um, but it's all about the split finger for him. And uh, I think it's, you know, you you can look at Kuroda. Kuroda has a 90-mile-an-hour fastball uh, and and a split finger for the most part, and good control, and is way older than Iwakuma. So um, I I think that what we've got is a younger uh, Kuroda here.
1: Yeah, you know, looking at his stats, I'm starting to think that my initial ranking was based on a relatively low innings pitched uh, projection and the fact that he's on the Mariners, who aren't going to provide him with great run support. But skills-wise, he doesn't look that much different from uh, Tommy Malone. Uh, probably have a slightly higher strikeout rate and uh, a slightly worse walk rate. But from... Uh, Ratio perspective, I think they're going to put up some similar stats. I just don't think that Iwakuma is going to throw as many innings, and he probably won't win as many ball games. So I think he should be a notch below Malone. But you are making the case that maybe he should be moved up to the fourth tier, you know, in
0: that Malone tier, just a bit below him. Yeah, we'll see about the innings. I mean, the Mariners had him like in the bullpen last year, right? Um, So that that sort of artificially suppresses innings, or not artificially. I mean, that's that's a role change, but. Uh, it does mean that we might not have seen what he would have pitched in a, in a full season. Um, and also, the only difference, I mean, the one little difference I could see between the two in terms of sort of statistical uh, line is that um, Iwakuma had like a over 50% ground ball rate last year. He doesn't have it this year, but it's not quite reliable. So uh, if he gets that up to 50%, he could uh, improve his home run rate um, and be slightly better than Malone. But, uh, you know, He's a tier below Malone. My my point was when I looked at the things I saw Malone and Moro up there, and Iwakuma down there, and I said, you know, no, these guys should Tom. at least be next to each other.
1: You're like, Pod, what are you doing?
0: No, I... Didn't. <laughs> are you... Oh, my God. Rips hair out. Oh, gnashes teeth. You're going to be
1: one of the commenters who said, Iwakuma in the fifth tier? What are you thinking? I'm like, oh, do you
0: own Iwakuma? Yes, I own Iwakuma. I didn't even look in the comments. I should have.
1: No, nobody said that, but, you know, the people who really strongly disagree in the comments it's always because they own that player and they're super biased uh because oh, you know, they obviously this is own the
0: player because they own him just as an aside they started putting um uh, comments on uh Roto World and my last uh <clears throat> my last uh closer piece um i ranked uh, jim johnson around 11th like a third tier closer right and um i got called uh, silly and retarded for that (laughs) Um, but the best one was the guy who called me retarded uh, his handle was something like I live for Baltimore
1: oh of course (laughs) the fanboys that are gonna always
0: closer is obviously number one in the league (laughs) with him and his six per nine strikeout rate
1: that's right just like J.J. Hardy is the best shortstop in
0: baseball (laughs) yeah
1: all right, let's move along to the National League starting pitcher, Tears, that was published by Chris Swick. So give us a name that you disagree with. And since this wasn't my list, I might agree with you as
0: well. Uh, well, I'm calling up the Tears real quick. So I got that I the tiers, can... so you can give me a oh, okay. name that I can share the, the tier with everyone. My name is Ian Kennedy.
1: Okay, Ian Kennedy is in the one, two, three – He's in the fourth tier sandwich between Jeff Samarja, A.J. Burnett, Jordan Zimmerman, and Giovanni Gallardo. Now, I'm going to guess that you would have him in a tier below. That's my guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would take all of those guys uh, over him twice on Sundays.
1: <laughs> all right. Please share with us why that would be the case. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, Kennedy is, a, is just another fast, bad fastball guy. Um and, uh, you know, it's not an 87, um, like Malone or anything. It's a 90. But, uh, you know, he's he also hasn't shown the elite, elite control. He's just a, a good control guy. But, you know, he, he's in Arizona. He's a fly ball guy. He's uh, he's had home run problems every other year of his career. And right now he's sort of, you know, right around one homer per nine. He could definitely give up more homers than he's giving up right now even. So, you know, I, I could see his strikeouts going up because the swing strike rate is still above average and the strikeout rate is below average. But, you know, as I see that strikeout rate go up, I see the home run rate go up. Um, and none of his other stats tell me that he's being unlucky in terms of uh, batting average on balls in play or left on base or any of that stuff. So, uh, you know, he's he's had a, a sort of he was a three eight Sierra guy last year. He's a four five guy right now. Um, His FIP has always been around four. I I think that's what he is. He's like an average major league starter, which is not great in fantasy. So I I see him uh, struggling to do much better than a four ERA the rest of the season. I'm going to actually disagree. I think
1: Swick's ranking of Kennedy is actually reasonable. Uh, If you look at his uh, swinging strike rate, it's actually barely down from last year, and yet his strikeout rate has dropped by... Well, more than a batter per inning. So I think that strikeout rate is going to rebound. His first strike percentage is identical to what it's always been, yet his walk rate is way up. So I think his control is going to improve. And aside from that, I mean, this is the same pitcher as he's always been. He's going to give you over 200 innings, which has value, and it's going to jack up his uh, total strikeouts. And... uh his win total, obviously, he only has one win because he has a 478 ERA, but can mm-hmm. just go up from here. So I think this is essentially the same pitcher looking at the advanced underlying metrics as he's always been. So I think there's going to be significant improvement from here on out. And yeah.
0: therefore, I think he's going to, he makes for a pretty decent buy low. Here, here's a little clarification of what I'm saying. I think he's the same pitcher he's always been. I think he's not a great pitcher. Yeah, I,
1: well, <laughs> I think the thing is is that the perception of him is clouded by that 2011 where he lucked his way exactly. to a 288 ERA. Exactly. Uh, to clarify, I think he's a, you know, a 380 type pitcher with a, a pretty decent whip because his control is usually pretty good and good strikeout totals because he pitches a lot of innings. So I think he's a solid guy. He's not a great guy. And I think the solid guys are in this tier. All
0: right. I love Jeff Zemarja, man
1: solid. Yeah, I'm a fan. I I love Samarja, too, but that Cubs offense just isn't very good, so he's just not going to get a lot of wins. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. And how many? I mean, Kennedy's going to kill him in the innings pitch. Is Samarja going to throw 200 innings? Probably not. And Kennedy's going to throw you know 210, 215. So that's another difference. Uh,
0: that's a good point.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the next guy that you disagree with. Uh,
0: uh, uh I'm just going to do a pair of names because they're I think they're similar. Um, and they're. In the uh, tier with Tim Lincecum, um, which looks like the one, two, three, four, five, sixth, sixth tier, Paul Mahalam and Jaime Garcia. Ooh, um, I realize these guys aren't going to give you great strikeout rates. Um, and I also realize that ground ballers sometimes have high whips, um, and that's been the case. Uh, but. I think this is sort of a flotsam and jetsam tier. I think this is uh, a tier that I would uh, spot start out of and a tier that I wouldn't necessarily be excited about owning anybody in that tier. That includes Tim Lincecum. Um, And I would put both those guys, I mean Patrick Corbin is basically a ground baller uh, with like a 7K9 um, and not much more upside beyond that and he's in the tier above, so um i i'm not tr- saying a drastic move by any means um they have their flaws, but i like I, I like Paul Mohollam and Jaime Garcia as um especially in mixed leagues it's like a, a sort of uh meat and potatoes number four number five uh back end guy ooh meat
1: and potatoes now you 're making me hungry
0: <laughs> all right well i don't really agree
1: with malam i 'm not really as much of a fan of his, although he 's kind of a poor man 's version of Jaime Garcia, a ground bowling guy with uh, decent control and strikeout rate. I like Garcia better, and I think initially he was in a tier below just because, you know, he had a shoulder injury that – I don't I don't think he had surgery on that, right? I mean he's pitching with uh, a screwed up shoulder, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he, he sort of just waited off on that. Um, so And that hasn't I mean,
1: affected his velocity at all or really any of his metrics. I mean he's inducing less swinging strikes, but – but that's about it. I mean, this is basically the same pitcher as he's always been, which surprises me.
0: It's obviously a cloud that sort of hangs over him. Um, so I, I, I guess I would amend, and 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 Mahal is old. Uh, well, thirty-one. You know, turning thirty-one. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to
1: be thirty-one on Monday night. I
0: know, I know. <laughs> I, uh, baseball old, but that's that's actually a little bit younger than I thought. But anyway, um. You know, both of these guys uh, aren't great uh, dynasty league or, or keeper league acquisitions just because they don't have sort of a lead upside in any way. And, um, but they're great, you know, guys that you pick up, you get them thrown in a, in a trade or, or uh, you pick them off the waiver wire and you just use them while you got them. But, um, Uh, I like them both. You know, the one thing that's weird about Jaime Garcia is I don't understand, given his velocity, not his velocity, his velocity isn't great, but given his swinging strikes, I'm surprised he hasn't pushed that that strikeout rate higher yet. I'll tell
1: you why, because Jaime Garcia, every year I do one of those swinging strike percentage versus K per nine and the mismatches, and Jaime Garcia is on that list every single year with a swinging strike rate that suggests a much higher strikeout rate, and it's because he doesn't get any looking strikeouts. Or looking strikes. He has a very low looking strike rate, and and that's just been a consistent lack of skill. Um, however, he wants to it. So that's just what happened. And it's amazing watching Jaime Garcia because the movement of his fastball is insane. It's basically like a natural screwball. It's
0: it's ridiculous. Yeah, I really I really like. I mean, I like watching him. I think he's a, I think he's a great pitcher. You know. Also, there is a, a choice that, that pitchers make between strikeouts and ground balls on some level. I mean. Um, if you pitch down in the zone, you get more ground balls and less strikeouts. And you know, right now his ground ball rate is 68%. So he's obviously pitching down in the zone. You know, it's probably hard to get a looking strike if you throw something that barely nibbles the bottom of the strike zone. You probably get a lot of looking balls, and then you know what I mean, or swings and, and ground balls. So yeah, that's very true, especially
1: with a, a runner on first or a runner on, and a runner on second. You want to go for the double play
0: rather than getting the strikeout. And, you know, with his whip, I guess he's got runners on. But anyway, I, I just, uh, that wasn't such a strong, you know, indignant one. But it was, uh, it was like, here, here are two, two guys. And I, I think Mohalem is just uh, just on his way to sort of a career year.
1: Yeah, uh, looking at the guy, there's a guy in a, the tier above them, John Nice. Really, how much difference is there between Nice and yeah. Mulholland and Garcia? I mean, these are three, essentially the same pitchers. They're ground balling guys with, you know, above, slightly above average strikeout rates and pretty good control. That they're the same pitcher.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess I would say I like him about Nice. And if I, you know, some people think that Nice is better than that because he's younger or he might have more upside or whatever, where they'd like him or the Mets fans or whatever. But, you know, if I was going to trade Nice and something and I got back Mohallem and something, then I would do it. You know, it was an upgrade for me elsewhere. So. All right. So, does, is that it for your disagreements? It's time to move on, right? Yep. Okay. Let's move
1: on to the last tier rankings. That's the American League outfielders by David Weir's posted yesterday and uh, start us off with a name that you disagree with.
0: Well, I'll do the the uh, the sexier one first Um, and maybe this will uh, create some disagreement between us. Austin Jackson. Okay, Uh, Austin Jackson is in his second tier,
1: the last guy in the second tier. Right above him, Jacoby Ellsbury, Alex Gordon, and the guys at the top of the third tier are Chris Davis, Alex Rios, and Josh Hamilton.
0: Yeah, and it's not only Alex Rios and Michael Bourne uh, being in the next tier, and Austin Jackson somehow being for them. Uh, it's the next tier down, which is where I see Shane Victorino and. Um, uh, who else was I saying? Shane Victorino, uh, even a guy like Brett Gardner. And then another tier down, Alejandro Deaza. So, I mean, I love Wears, and, and he, 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 we should have him on to defend himself or whatever. But I just feel like Deaza doesn't have two tiers of difference from Austin Jackson.
1: Yeah, well, I think it, the difference is the offenses. Austin Jackson is leading off for the Tigers that have a better offense. And so he's probably going to score more runs. Um, But other than that, yeah, I I kind of agree with you there. Personally, I think Alex Rios is definitely better than Austin Jackson, so he should not be a tier below Jackson. So, yeah, I definitely agree that Austin Jackson is too high because, I mean, these are all $20-plus outfielders, and Austin Jackson is not a $20-plus outfielder in a 12-team mixed league.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised in in labor even. He went for... um... More than Ellsbury and more than uh, more than a bunch of people that I that I like better. Um, it's just that I guess the runs in RBI is, is something that there's maybe a blind spot for me because I I just look at you know two eighty ten homers maybe thirty stolen bases that that's like a class of player to me uh, and that's a class that I would put Shane Victorino in yeah. Um, and it's a class that I would put Daza in. So uh, I know that maybe Daza will come up, you know, you know, Daza and Victorino will come up a couple points short in batting average, but Victorino probably won't come up that short in runs, um, in, in runs or RBI. I mean, the Boston offense is clicking. So um, you know, I, I uh, that's I, and I just the reason I brought it up is not to you know get on weirs. It's it's that I think that there's sort of a uh, a fantasy-wide love affair with Austin Jackson that's based on his tools um, and not really based in uh, sort of the results he's shown in the major leagues. Uh, and yes, he's striking out a little bit less, so maybe he's batting average a little bit better. But um, I mean, what's his career high in stolen bases? Like 27. If he he's at, he's had five right now, that's great. But I'm sure he's going to slow down at some point. The, the 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 Tigers' offense doesn't need him to be stealing bases. So uh, I bet he ends up with uh, fewer than 27 stolen bases.
1: Yeah, and it's also tough to be gambling on a guy who really relies on a, a high batting average on balls on play just to give you a satisfactory batting average. I mean, what if one of these years he gets unlucky, his BABIP is only three twenty, Suddenly you're looking at a two fifty hitter. But yeah. if he can maintain that better contact rate, then maybe he does have an outside shot at actually earning that, the value in that tier. Uh, anyway, give us uh, your last
0: name. This this guy is decidedly unsexy, although I will say my wife really likes his smile and uh, comments on it a lot. So um, I don't know what that says about my wife, but uh, Melky Cabrera. Better watch out, you know. Yeah, if Melky Cabrera steals my wife from me, I'd be very upset. Well, what uh,
1: what what happens if the—I don't know if they're facing each other in early play, but what if the Jays are in town to play the Giants? Is she going to beg for tickets?
0: Oh, that would be funny if I took her to that game. I, I, maybe I'll try to take her to that game. That would be kind of fun. Although, <laughs> if the Blue Jays are in town, I'm definitely going to be in, the, in the, the clubhouse to talk to Dickie. But, uh,
1: well, let, let, let's show off our talent for getting inside clubhouses with access
0: uh that was just an aside but anyway that's my point about uh Melky <laughs> cabrera uh we can use our brains and we can you know i i'm a big uh sort of steroid agnostic where oh I,
1: again just to clarify Melky cabrera is in that third tier um along with alex rios josh hamilton michael Bourne, nelson cruz so i i think you're saying that he's too high
0: he's too high yeah, and the, and, the, and you know I'm a steroid agnostic in terms of sort of the Hall of Fame, and um, sort of the past of baseball, especially where uh, in the past you know baseball turned a blind eye and and was complicit I think in a lot of the things that happened. But in terms of like Melky, he's he's been in the testing. Um, he he was caught during the you know the time in which baseball was testing, um, and it immediately threw his numbers in, with the Royals and Giants into question. And though I think that he has some skills and can be <coughs> a useful major league outfielder on some level, I do think that we can look at the baseline that he set before he sort of went off on a possible steroid um, influence sort of two-year binge and and say, oh my gosh, he's doing exactly what he used to do and uh so maybe i should recalculate my projections for him
1: yeah i mean he's either the ultimate by low or like because maybe this is a slow start i mean just because you know he got busted for steroids doesn't necessarily mean that this is a off the steroids slow start this could just be a slow start like anybody else or he's off the steroids and so he's just back to the crappy player he used to be and we don't know, obviously. I mean, percentage play is to think that the Melky of the last two years is not coming back. This is a guy who's a 5-10 to 10 home run hitter who benefited from a, a crazy Babbitt the last two years, and he, he's just not coming back, and he deserves to be in one of the bottom
0: tiers. So, Yeah, and I think I think you could actually probably even take the steroids out of it and just do a sort of BABIP analysis of him where you say, okay, before the last two years, his career high in Babbitt was 309. His his sort of major league average Babbitt was uh, about 285. Uh, then he had two crazy years, and now his major league BAB, now his Babbitt is 285 again. So, you know, do I believe in the 379 Babbitt and the 332 Babbitt, or do I believe in the career Babbitt he showed before that, and which is coincidentally the one he's showing now? So, you know, maybe add a little bit more power in. I mean, he, he's, he showed power with the Yankees before. You know, not quite average, but, you know, just short of average power. So, if you could add some power back in. Maybe you will hit 10 homers this year. Um, you know, he's another year older, and he has years on his resume where, he, you know, he's still nine bases, seven bases. So, uh, give him another five bases if you want, seven bases. This is a guy who might end the season batting 260, 10, 10.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. I was gonna say 270, 10, 10, and if he doesn't get himself back into the number two hole in the Jays' order, then that really hurts his runs and uh, RBI potential. He'll get fewer at bats. I actually I liked him in the preseason. You know, obviously none of us really knew what he was gonna give to you, but I did like him. It was a great spot in the order in front of Jose Batista. He's in a great ballpark, and and it was a great situation for him. But the slump got him dropped in the lineup, and I don't know if he's ever gonna move back up. And if he doesn't then he's just not really going to contribute very many places.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, even though my wife likes to smile.
1: Yeah, all right.
0: Well, smile or not, Melky
1: Cabrera is probably not a buy low for either of us. And and that does it for today's rankings disagreement discussion. And Eno, you wanted to talk about our awesome introductory music.
0: Uh, I just wanted to point out, that was my, uh, my good friend, Sinton. Uh, you can get it on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash Sinton DJ. It's S-I-N-T-O-N DJ. Uh, he's a, he's a, a, a crazy character. He's a tai chi instructor, um, shiatsu practitioner, uh, sort of world music, hip-hop DJ uh, slash producer. So uh, he's a, he's a cr- classic character who uh, has a classic Facebook feed. And he's a, he's a great guy. And I just, I did want to hear uh, your opinions. We haven't seen too much in the comments about it, except for uh, someone lauding you mistakenly, Podhorzer, for uh, for being the Rapmeister.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, these are some hidden skills that most probably did not know I possess.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you will keep keep hidden.
1: <laughs> yes, that is correct. Although I thought I did a pretty darn good job. You're telling people about the Sitten character just to to keep the uh, the mask. On my voice and make people think that it's really not me, but it is. (laughs) The sleeper and the bust. That's right, that's all me. All right. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust for Eno Saris. I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.